This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, October the 31st, 2021. It's Halloween. It's uh, We don't have any spooky gimmicks to give you here today. But it is Halloween. Uh, I'm Brandon Thurston. Today we'll be talking about all the things that are coming up this coming week. WWE has its Q3. That means third quarter 2021 earnings report. And there's turmoil at Sinclair Broadcasting and Ring of Honor. We'll talk to Lobby Margolin today towards the end of the program. Plus, What's going to happen to the Ring of Honor library? Is AEW going to do a streaming service? We've got some comparisons to look at as far as how AEW and WWE are doing in the same markets with ticket sales. Uh, as well as maybe we'll talk about the prospect of digital media rights. What's the future of the game, Paul Levesque? Uh and and uh, I think that about covers what we're going to talk about today. But first, joining us from my South by Southwest or Southeast or who knows. But he's down there in South Buffalo. He's coming to us with two ring lights flanking him with a webcam broadcasting him to me. And now, since our thorough production meeting, he is now speaking into his microphone rather than the the small microphone within the webcam, our correspondent and yours, or mine and yours is how that's supposed to go. Chris Gullo joins us. Hey, everybody. Yeah, happy Halloween. We have spin the wheel, and the deal that we have made is to bring a awesome podcast full of wrestling business news. Yes. It's Halloween. It's 9 a.m. Bill's game today, which where I'll be very shortly, <laughs> where I'll be in costume, dressed what as an it? NFL referee. We'll see oh, how well that goes. Wow. I may not be alive after today. So. I expect to see a lot of people in costume on this uh, on this broadcast. Is that what's going to happen? I, I think you're. Gonna, I think you're going to get your Ace Ventura costumes because they're playing the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to get your Sean McDermott costumes, you know, Bill's head coach, uh, and uh, maybe some Del- people are going to dress up like Dolphins, probably like being like beat up or something. <laughs> Interesting. Who knows what Bill fans would dress up as? But next week, you know who the Bills are playing next week? Yes, they're playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Uh, interesting. Who owns the Jacksonville Jaguars? That's, um, who owns the Jacksonville Jaguars again? Chad Khan. I, I think he has some affiliate with wrestling. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Okay. So. Today on the program, uh, some housekeeping news. I don't know how people usually listen to this program. I think it's about half and half. If you are listening to this podcast on the WrestleNomics radio feed, no worries. Everything will be the same for you moving forward. However, if you're listening to this program on the Voices of Wrestling podcast feed with all of the podcasts that are on the Voices of Wrestling Network. After this episode, uh, WrestleNomics will no longer be on that feed. 
some big news coming soon about where else this podcast might be appearing. But yes, we, we are very appreciative for everything the Voice of Wrestling uh, has done for Wrestlenomics. But big news coming soon. Uh, we'll, we'll keep you posted about what that news might be. Uh, but yeah, I, w- I would recommend, uh, subscribe. If you, if you're not used to listening to this podcast on the, what I call the dedicated feed, just go into your podcast app, search Wrestlenomics and, and subscribe to the feed, uh, to make sure you never, you never miss an episode. We really appreciate that. Um, so some other internal news. I've got a pretty intense week coming up. Um, I am, uh, on Thursday, actually, I'm going to wake up. I have the day off of, uh, of the day job. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to prepare. I've, I've, I've briefed Gullo on this in Facebook Messenger already. I'm going to start preparing two PowerPoint presentations throughout the day, preparing for the WWE Q3 report and preparing for the ratings talk. Because at four o'clock, the rating will come out soon after four o'clock. Uh, that, that is the AEW rating. And then soon after four o'clock on Thursday, the documents will drop. The WWE Q3 documents will drop like probably 15 minutes later. So I've got to do a ratings report within like 15 minutes. Um, and then as soon as that's done, probably before it's even done, I'll have to do, uh, you know, start looking at the documents. I'll be live tweeting all the news and all the facts and information we learned from the WWE Q3 release uh, on, on my Twitter account at Brandon Thurston. <clears throat> Jason Unpreser will be keeping the website up to date too. I've arranged that. Um, and then at 5 p.m. Eastern, Vince McMahon, Nick Khan, Stephanie McMahon, and Christina Salen, they go live with their conference call, uh, which, which will overlap with the usual live TV ratings talk time. So the live TV ratings talk will be pushed to 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, that will be live for free on YouTube as always. We will talk about the TV ratings information that we've learned for the, the prior seven days. And then when that concludes, for patrons only at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, we will be doing the exclusive WrestleNomics stream. It will be through a YouTube link, but it will be an unlisted YouTube link that only patrons will be given. We will talk, and I think Gullo will join us at some point as soon yes. as he has been freed from his day job. He will join us. Maybe he will, he will just suddenly run in and we will talk about all we have learned. Maybe any news that Nikon has broken, uh, we will talk about at that point. So that's what's going on there. Um, anything to add to that? No, I'm just, uh, it's, it's a very, uh, busy week here at WrestleNomics. Uh, we have that going on and then we're both on a show on Saturday. So, Oh God. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in a scramble a week for us. Yeah. I'm in a scramble. Uh, yeah. We've got to wrestle for excite in, this is in the mall, right? And near yep, Binghamton and Johnson city. Yeah. Uh, Saturday, I believe it starts at six or seven. I think it's six. I can't remember. I know it's a later show than we has been doing lately. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. The big news. 
we're we're touch on this briefly because Lavia Margolin, who is really somebody that I I defer to when it comes to things beyond WWE and AEW at this point and New Japan, I guess. Uh, we 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 have a talk at the towards the last forty or so minutes of this podcast where it's just me and Lavi. Uh, a recording that we did on Thursday talking about all the Ring of Honor news. But here's here's a, a image of an empty Ring of Honor ring. I thought it was apropos. Ring of Honor. Um, why, why don't you why don't you read this 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 yeah this, this great PR statement? Go ahead. That came out and uh, interesting to say the least. Uh, this is from Ring of Honor. Throughout the pandemic, our top priority was to keep everyone healthy and safe. And despite not producing any live events over eighteen months. We were able to keep everyone fully contracted. We now find ourselves at a time where we need to make changes to our business operations. And we're planning a pivot for Ring of Honor with a new mission and strategy. This year will culminate with a final battle in December, and we will be taking the first quarter of 2022 to work internally to reimagine Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor has been, I'm sorry, has the most dedicated fans in the industry, and we appreciate their loyalty and patience as we reconceptualize ROH. We anticipate returning to live events in April for the Supercard of Honor with a new fan-focused product to provide a unique experience for wrestling fans. So they're they're basically saying that there will be no live events in the first three months of 2022. That's the after all the hocus pocus. I think I think that's the takeaway from that statement, right? Can you hear me? You can't hear me. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yes. I'm, no, I'm messing no, with typing. I'm I'm messing with stuff. Don't don't worry. That's right because so, yeah, I, I heard myself. So for a second, the takeaway here I think is that there's no there's no live events for Ring of Honor in all of Q1. Um, talk that maybe Ring of Honor is just going to become an indie promotion after this. Um, we can look at the Google Trends trends for Ring of Honor just a just a sort of grand wide um, overview of at least with the the data that uh, Google Trends is indicating. And uh, it's something that I've noticed over the last several years is that it's really been on a downward trend, coinciding with what I perceive to be a, a wearing off of their buzz uh, following the launch of AEW and the Young Bucks and uh, Kenny Omega and Cody. I guess Young Bucks and Cody especially were especially prominent in, um, in Ring of Honor uh, after they left. Uh, Ring of Honor became, and not just because of them leaving, perhaps, but but Ring of Honor became, I think, just a less relevant wrestling company. Um, so there's that. There's talk about uh, what's going to happen with the video library, and that maybe there might be uh, uh, that that video library might be getting shopped around. Uh, we're catching up on this. This isn't a super new interview. This is from October 13th, uh, where Tony Khan appeared on the Barstool Wrestling podcast with, with Brandon Walker. Uh, I think this is a relatively new podcast, right? Uh, but, uh, yes. he had this to say about a possible streaming service. This is Brandon Walker asking the question first. 
When am I getting? When when am I going to be able to get an AEW streaming library somewhere? When am I going to be able to go to bed watching Revolution twenty twenty stuff like that? I'm talking to great people about Warner Media and AEW partnering. I think there's a great opportunities. I work with one of the biggest media companies in the world, and they have a lot of great ideas. So hopefully, we can make a solution for the fans because you're believe me, I get asked that question every day, and it's a great opportunity for us. I mean, it is really. We're trying to build the library up now. We've done over a hundred episodes of Dynamite. Two years we do on every week. We've done like a hundred and four episodes of Dynamite now. 10 pay-per-views maybe, 10, 12. 10 pay-per-views plus the streaming yeah. specials. I have something nobody's ever seen before, The How- The House Always Wins, which is a pay-per-view level card with also all top stars of AEW in action. And it was done in Jacksonville in front of the fans in the pandemic with uh, open air, totally spaced oh, out right. crowd. Yeah, yeah. It was, but it was something I've been saving. It's a great show nobody's seen. And it's, it's, well, I want to see it. I'm gonna, what's going to be available and okay, all, all the right. pay-per-views we've done uh, you know 104 Dynamites and now we have Rampage Library building up so thank you for asking that because it's going to be soon so there's that he's talking about all this content that he's, he's already got um, but, but one thing that uh, AEW really would be missing is some older content some older content would, yeah. yeah I'm just it would be if this if they purchased the Ring of Honor Library and this is very hypothetically because I think Ring of Honor, I mean, the, there was a report from Justin Barrasso that it was for sale, and the people the reports came out that it's not for sale, whatever it may be. But it would be a huge get for AEW because you have all these, some which are current stars for AEW, you know, before they were stars, you have all that footage of CM Punk and yes. Ryan Danielson, and, you know, and then you even could feature WWE people like Samoa Joe. Um, my biggest thing is, I don't know if you remember this, Marianne. It might be when I first started the show, or maybe when I guess, or when there was the rumor that they would have some type of streaming on HBO Max, like AEW would kind of be part of that. And I wonder if... I don't know that it was ever rumored. It was just, I think that was just an idea that was naturally yeah. speculated about because HBO Max is a Warner Media property and, and AEW is very much in the Warner Media world. But yeah. Yes, I wonder if that would be... Maybe it would with all this library that would go separate or add that as part of the package. Who knows if if HBO Max was even doing that at this point? I don't think pro wrestling is ever going to appear on on HBO Max. I would be surprised. Um, there isn't a great fit in in the Warner Media world right now. Maybe Discovery Plus, but I think what's more likely at this point is for AEW to do its own streaming service. Um, they they already have uh, AEW Plus through Fight, which is not exactly a streaming service, but it's uh, it's it's the way they're just distributing uh, Dynamite and Rampage to uh, people in international markets so they can watch it live. Um, but uh, Tony Khan even said recently somewhere in an interview, and maybe he said it with uh, with Gavin Bridge of Variety uh, in an interview that came out. This past week, you can find a link to it on the on the WrestleNomics Twitter account, um, where he said that since, since CM Punk uh, came to AEW, that uh, those those uh, fight subscriptions have doubled, more than doubled, were his words. Um, but I think I think it's more likely that they're going to do something on their own. And, and the question to me would be, what do they price it at? Um, Ten dollars or more, obviously, would would be would be where I would start. But uh, it would it would help to have this huge library. Uh, yeah, well, how much do, does the Ring of Honor library really attract at this point? Um, not that much. Not that not, not that many people. The new content is probably more interesting, and you have dark and dark elevation 
possibly to put on there too. And maybe those aren't weekly free YouTube products anymore, but, but we'll see. Um, um I want to yeah. bring up this point and I don't know if uh, you and Robbie touched on it, but if so, so if ring of honor, you know, they come back right in, in April, but I, and they don't have contracts from what we're hearing. They're going to be like an independent promotion. Do you think they lean towards kind of having a good relationship with AEW using a lot of AEW talent because those aren't talent that could just be scooped up by WWE? I think they would be open to it. I mean, this has been like the most unambitious wrestling company of this scale, you know, of this national prominence that maybe we've ever seen. So why wouldn't they want to have a cooperative relationship with, um, with AEW. Yeah. Moving on. Right. Yes. Moving on to comparing well, competing markets here and comparing AEW and WWE, how they did as far as ticket sales in those markets. Yeah. So we have, this is from WrestleTix just showing us that. Um, so WrestleTix put together this one, two, three, four, five, six markets where there are upcoming events showing what the tickets distributed are. So we have uh, the Twin Cities, we have Georgia, I'm guessing Duluth and Atlanta are close to each other. We have Long Island, where they're running in the, in the exact same venue. Uh, Chicago Market, Indianapolis, Norfolk, Virginia. And uh, that's, one, you know, again, that's six six comparisons. These are upcoming events, not, not events that have already happened. Um, and they're not all apples to apples here. We've got, uh, in, in the Twin Cities, we're comparing a Raw to a, to a Dino, to an AEW pay-per-view in, in full gear. Gullo has disappeared. Did we lose our connection with Gullo? Oh, there he is. Uh, we've got, uh, a, a, a WWE pay-per-view will buy, and I just go through them. Um, the full gear pay-per-view in the, in the Twin Cities is well over 9,000, nearing 10,000. I don't know if that's sold out already, actually, might be. Uh, but Raw is only at 2,600. So AEW way ahead in that, but it's a pay-per-view. We can say, all right, that's not a fair comparison. Don't compare them. Let's look at the Georgia market where I think is, are, are Duluth and Atlanta pretty close to each other? Let's just double check that. Um, I think so. WWE day one. The, the, the Nikon call to put the pay-per-view on New Year's Day, uh, January 1st. Uh, you can, now that is further out in the future compared to this December 1st AEW Dynamite in Duluth, Georgia, uh, which is at 4,600 tickets distributed versus about 4,500 tickets distributed for the pay-per-view. So, well, there's a, there's a month's difference there in, in, you know, AEW's event is a month closer. So maybe more of those tickets will get distributed and actually sold uh, by, by WWE once that event comes closer and it is a pay-per-view. So, so let's dismiss that one too. Then we've got long 31 minute drive from the move to Atlanta. So it seems like a suburb of Atlanta. Yeah. Okay. And then we've got long Island, as we've talked about many times in this podcast, the UBS arena, the new New York Islanders venue. uh, That is November 29th for WWE raw December 8th for AEW Dynamite and uh AEW is is this this is uh doubling still what is so so WWE currently has tickets distributed of 3913 if i multiply that by 2 i get almost exactly uh AEW almost exactly doubling uh raw 
for tickets distributed. Okay, this is a dynamite. So a pretty one-to-one comparison in terms of event type. It's a weekly TV show in both cases. Um, WB's event is sooner, not later. So if anything, the, 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 the time closing into when you can't buy tickets anymore, you got to go to the events is closer, is more so in WB's favor in this case. Um, related to this, we've seen, uh, if you want to go to Raw in Belmont Park, New York at the UBS Arena Monday, November 29th, uh, yep, Roman Reigns is going to be there. Got Becky Lynch uh, advertising this graphic too. Tickets. Two tickets for the price of one. Use the passcode TREAT. Uh, limited time uh, and, and through tomorrow, through Monday, November 1st, uh, at midnight that expires. So tickets are tickets are at a discount. They're cl- clearly trying to get, get these tickets out. Maybe the tickets aren't moving as well as they would like. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure W's not concerned because AEW's not competition. But there's that. AEW crushing crushing WWE in, in that comparison. Uh, then we go to Chicago where uh, SmackDown comes to the Rosemont Horizon or whatever it's called now on December 17th, further off in the future than Dynamite on uh, November 24th. Uh, Dynamite at about 7,000 even. SmackDown at uh, over 5,300. So, AEW ahead on that comparison too. But, uh, WWE's show is a little bit further in the future. Then we go to Indianapolis, where Raw has 3,900 tickets out to nearly 5,000 for Dynamite Raw on November 15th, Dynamite on November 10th. So almost this, you know, very similar date there. Uh, and then the closest, well, not the closest, I guess Georgia is pretty close to, uh, but uh, Norfolk, Virginia, Dynamite, November 17th, 4,255 tickets out to, to, to SmackDown. On the 12th, 4,137. So all six of these comparisons. Um, AW is ahead. And some of them, you could say, well, they're, you know, the, the, the W event is a little bit further in the future and it is. Um, but that is, uh, that, that would be, that would be concerning me if I were WWE. Yeah. And, uh, Norfolk Beach, do you know what to like, cities and arenas they're they're running in well norfolk because that was the same area that the infamous when wcw ran the same night as nitro and raw and they did the invasion with the dx and all that oh wow is it wasn't that in atlanta though because aren't aren't they like on the tank like looking at the cnn tower or something was a second thing like so when they were like in i think they were in hampton beach one of them was in hampton beach and the other one was in norfolk but it, that Norfolk, Hampton, Virginia Beach, it's like the same market. It's a really growing market, too, as far as entertainment and sports. Hmm. W, or, uh, AW should run uh, like Hartford, Connecticut at some point, and then, like, you know, ha- have somebody drive a Humvee to down to Stanford and be like, uh, free Kevin Steen, free, free El Generico, and then <laughs> things of that nature. Um, yeah. But, uh, so, I mean, it, it, it's worth pointing out, though, you know, we talk about the TV ratings. We're going to talk almost not about TV ratings at all this week. Uh, but W has larger total viewership by far than, than AEW, driven almost entirely by its P50-plus audience. Um, and, and, and come to think of it, too, by the way, this, this point that AEW always makes uh, about how they have the youngest audience in wrestling. I wonder if AEW was... 
you know, a 20 year old brand, let's say, I wonder if they wouldn't have a much larger P50 plus audience and that, which would skew their median age older. But anyway, I think what we're seeing here is, um, we had this first round of touring, pent up demand. WD did quite well. We're going to see some, some indication of that, uh, this Thursday when the reports, they'll report attendance. They'll report average attendance for the entire quarter. They'll report total attendance. They'll report average ticket price. They'll report how much money the live events division made. Uh, whether it, whether it was profitable and operating income or not, we'll find out on Thursday. Um, so I, and I imagine that report will, will look pretty favorably because it'll be covering the period of July 1st to September 30th, uh, a period where WWE, I would say, did quite well. Um, estimate, I will be writing an estimate too, by the way, uh, in the next couple of days for Russellomics.com. Uh, but anyway, the pent-up demand has happened at this point. And it's one thing to sit in your home and and click the remote and watch a wrestling program for free or almost for free. Yeah, it costs your time and it's part of a bundle that you're paying for. Um, but that's a lot less friction than getting up off your couch, transporting your body to a venue, paying money to get in. Uh, and I think that's just reflective of, of the passion that there is for AEW at this point and uh, the passion for, for W product that has, has diminished pre-pandemic and we're kindly finally coming back to a uh, a normal level here for WWE. Again, even though WWE's product is far, far, far more recognizable, name brand, far, far more valuable, uh, but you put out a bad product for many, many years, and this is what happens. You you create space for a, a competitor to come in here and capture a lot of uh, dissatisfied fans and talent, by the way, and uh, create a very competitive product that may be far less valuable than your company at this point but is becoming very competitive, especially in areas where it costs a lot for the consumer to make that decision. Anyway, any, any, any comments on that? Chris Cullo? No, I, I just think it's, it comes with the atmosphere, the freshness of the product, the different creativity. And I think, you know, just from a fan's perspective, WWE, it's kind of the same old, same old, you know what you're going to get. And then they're going to give you a dark match with, some heel tag team versus two top baby faces afterwards and just a live experience. It's, it, it's kind of blah. It just hasn't changed. Um, you know, why are you so biased against WWE, Chris Cullo? I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm just speaking from a fan perspective. I will tell you there's, if there's things that WWE does great, I'll, I'll tell you, I like that. They brought Chucky on. <laughs> <laughs> like That's in my wheelhouse. I think they didn't do enough with Chucky. They should have had Chucky out there on the screen, distracting Braun Breaker and telling him, come on, you want a piece of me and uh, costing yeah. him distraction. I mean, they do all these distraction finishes. Why can't they do a distraction finish for Braun Breaker and Chucky? Come on now. Yeah. The locker room scene wasn't enough. Yes. There needs to be more of that. I mean, if you're, are, you, are you an entertainment and media company or not? Come on. I double dog dare you. Anyway, moving on. But no bias here. I just, just speaking from a fan perspective and, and I can tell you, you know, if I turn on Monday Night Raw, I, I may fall asleep. I, it's, and it's nothing, it's, you know, nothing against the, the talent. I have respect for a lot of those talent, but it's just sometimes it's the way the product is laid out. 
Um, and I tell you, for a goofy Halloween eight-man tag and dynamite, that was entertaining. It was different. Cena was the greatest wrestling match ever, but it was different. Mm-hmm. Moving on to uh, WWE's announcement, we're going to do some more live events here. Um, you want to tell us what what, what did WWE announce? Uh, I believe this is on Monday. They put out this press release. Yeah, so uh, WWE announced uh, the dates and locations for the following year's pay per views uh, for 2022, and this will be headlined at the <laughs> Stadium in Dallas. Oh, <laughs> this would be a good time. This would be a good time to tell I'm you. Trying you to read it because I can't. It's, it's we are. Uh, I can give the gist pe- of it. People, people on the podcast do do not understand why I just burst out in laughter because you um. You just pulled your your laptop like right in front of your face. Um, we we're recording this for video. It'll probably be given in an unlisted link to patrons. Um, this is a good time to tell you. Read it on my phone. No, it's a good time to tell you that I have I have ordered a a monitor for you. Uh, oh. The Russell Alex, uh headquarters and uh, in you know, uh, hardware inventory department. You are getting an external monitor. Got one from eBay. I'll, I'll, it's coming in this this coming week or something. I'll come over another day and we'll set it up for you because you've told me that you don't need one, but you 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 clearly need one. Uh, you need an external monitor so that so that you can see the slides on one screen and then you can see whatever else you need to see. Yes. Anyway, well, I will read this press release off on my phone. Let's restart this. For the first time in history, WWE today announced the dates and locations for the following year's pay-per-view schedule. The 2022 slate highlighted by a two-night WrestleMania at AT&T Stadium in Dallas will also mark a new record for the most stadium events in a minimum of four in a year for WWE. This, uh, this press release that features multimedia, and they tell you we're going to view the whole press release. But here's the schedule as follows. Saturday, January 1st, day one at State Farm Atlanta in the State Farm Arena, sorry, in Atlanta. Saturday, January 29th, the Royal Rumble at the Dome at America Center in St. Louis. Saturday, April 12th, and Sunday, April 3rd, WrestleMania AT&T Stadium in Dallas. Sunday, May 8th, pay-per-view at Dunkin' Donuts Center in Providence, Rhode Island. Sunday, June 5th, the pay-per-view at the All-Star All-State Arena in Chicago. Saturday, July 2nd, Money in the Bank at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, Nick Khan's hometown. Saturday, July 30th, SummerSlam at Nissan Stadium in Nashville. Saturday, September 3rd or Sunday, September 4th, a pay-per-view at a TVD location. We'll talk about the significance in a second. And Saturday, November 26th, Survivor Series at the TD Guard in Boston. They said, in addition to the events above, pay-per-views taking place in February and October will be announced in the near future. Fans are interested uh, for up-to-date ticket information. They just give you all the links. Um... Obviously, let's, I think there's a couple takeaways here, Brandon. Uh, obviously, I know you got quarts and potatoes here is the stadium events, multiple stadium events that they're doing, but as well as running yeah. Labor Day weekend. And we know traditionally that has been the weekend of AEW's All Out. Oh, come on. Of, of course you want to bring that up. You're so biased against WWE. You know that this is just a coincidence, just like it was just a coincidence that W decided you did an extra half hour a couple weeks ago for SmackDown that just happened to run head to head against Rampage. Just like it's just a coincidence that they ran two or three consecutive episodes of SmackDown the other, this past Friday night going against Rampage. And this is just a coincidence, okay? Just a coincidence that this is happening to be on the same weekend that AEW has ran for the last three years. 
Yeah, just a coincidence. They're focused on themselves. Blinders. Yeah, blinders. blinders. Sleep, though. I'll tell you. Sleep. They'll run against sleep if they need to. It makes sense to to do these stadium shows, probably. Um, I've, I've, I've this. I, I don't know if this is something we've talked about in the past, but it's something that's crossed my mind. Like, why, why not try to make super weekends out of at least four of these events? And I agree with the call to do this for Money in the Bank. I think Money in the Bank is more of a because by God, consequences matter. And when you Survivor Series was um, at a in another era, one of the four major pay per views, but. Um, but it's become less important over time as U.S. wrestling doesn't really value teams and things like that, or at least WWE doesn't. Um, but Money in the Bank, because it has consequences, has become a pretty big deal. Um, so doing four stadium shows maybe makes sense. I, I think they're going to have a hard time filling all these stadiums, though. But will it be worth it in the end? As far as the ticket revenue they're able to generate, perhaps. Um, a lot of Saturdays here. This seems to be a Nick Khan thing. 100%. Because that's when boxing and UFC had their big events. Why wouldn't WWE have their big events that day? In fact, this is all Saturdays. With the exception of the two-day WrestleMania. Um, which is a Saturday and a Sunday. Nope. The, um, the Chicago pay-per-view in June is also a Sunday. But other than that... Oh, I'm sorry. And the May 8th pay-per-view in uh, Providence is also a Sunday. Okay. But it's mostly Saturdays. Um, Royal Rumble is a Saturday. So this, this era of, uh, the Sunday pay-per-view, which has been the case, uh, like uh, my entire memory, at least as an adult, it, it, it was, I, I was doing some research years ago and realizing that like in the nineties, especially like the early nineties, like SummerSlam was on a Monday. There were some obviously. Obviously, everybody knows that Survivor Series was on Thanksgiving Eve. Oftentimes, um, so Sunday is a Sunday pay per view tradition is is more of a late nineties and, and and going forward thing. And uh, yeah, Nikon said in a um, I believe this was in the Ariel Hawani interview in August, talking about how they're targeting days where they feel there isn't any other sports event that should be a sports event day, which is their, their first example of that is that day one pay-per-view on January 1st, where there's apparently no college football game on that day. So there's that. Which is interesting that there's no college football day. Cause they usually do have games on New Year's day. So, mm-hmm. um, the sad, the, uh, the September pay-per-view, which as you mentioned is either, September 3rd, the Saturday, or September 4th, the Sunday. Uh, speculation, I believe Sean Ross Sapp has reported that tentatively that is going to be a United Kingdom pay-per-view, which UK fans have been waiting for since August 1992. They've been waiting for a, uh, a genuine pay-per-view. Uh, so that's what I expect. And there's been been the the discussion already that well if it's a UK pay per view it'll probably be at like 3 p.m. Eastern time here in the U.S. and then you, and then if if even if they're on the same day all out would be at like eight so they wouldn't actually be running head to head um but yeah you know, it just could be a you know they could still run a, a five hour show even and it wouldn't run into all out and we're we're really in a I mean. 
it's really a peacock event here in the U.S. more than a pay-per-view event. The very small minority, maybe people in rural America who are still watching uh, W pay-per-views on traditional pay-per-view. So um, there, there will be no threatening pay-per-view distributors that if they carry all out, they can't have WrestleMania like, like happened uh, in 1987 or whatever it was. Oh, we'll run a clash of champions, fool. <laughs> That's right. So the ratings, uh, like I said, we're not really going to talk too much about ratings unless you have something that, that you really would, would like to bring up, Golo. Uh, dark well, side. Now, unfortunately, uh, we don't have the Thursday data yet. Um, those haven't came out because I, I am intrigued to see how dark side of the ring done with the, the uh, season finale. Um, mm-hmm. Other than that, I mean, nothing, I mean, nothing super significant. I, NXT got a bump up uh, with running the Halloween Havoc episode. Yes, they did. Uh, you know, that seemed to do well with them. Um, Dynamite did did less than a million uh, coming back uh, with the point forty and 18 to 49 uh, coming back on Wednesdays. I can tell you they're happy. Um, so I think with those it, are though. the two biggest kind of headlines of the week. I can tell you that they're happy with their rating, though. Uh you're reestablishing a time. A time. I, they'll probably be back over a million this week. Their, their feeling is they want, they were going against the world series. Um, right. Maybe their other disadvantage. Oh, they had the issue where, um, the Pacific time zone and mountain time zone were airing live, uh, out, out of prime time. Uh, unlike u- usual, those, those markets, those time zones aired on a delay, but in prime time. So they had that issue going on. For whatever that, whatever effect that had, they were also going against the World Series, which was on Fox, um, which did a lower rating, I think, than it's done in, in years past. But but still, we're talking like 10 million viewers here. Um, and, and sports competition seems to affect AEW programming more so than it affects W programming. So um, it was uh, I would someone ensured that I that I knew that they were happy with 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 the, with the rating. Uh so there's that. We don't the we don't have the the Thursday rating. We don't have the latest on what happened with Jerry McDivitt. I really want to know how that episode did. It's keeping me suspenseful. <clears throat> I, I I did watch this episode. This was the season finale of season three of Dark Side of the Ring. I thought Jerry McDivitt was captivating, the most captivating character I've seen from WWE in years. Jerry McDivitt, the longtime defense attorney for World Wrestling Entertainment, uh, you know, talking about his time. He's, he's defended WWE in numerous, numerous cases, uh, but but just a captivating character. As I tweeted, I, I think this um, the scripted series that is supposed to be about that story, this, the steroid trial, I think that the lead role, you would think the, re- the lead role would be Vincent Mann. No, 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 no. The lead role should be whoever plays Jerry McDivitt. He's the star of this show. Um, but Nielsen ratings have been delayed for whatever reason. There's been a lot of Nielsen delays lately um, for whatever reason. This rating will come out on Monday, the same day that the Friday rating comes out. Oh, by the way, the Friday ratings, W SmackDown was preempted to FS1 because of the World Series. Uh, <clears throat> no fast nationals. Like there have been every week so far in October, no fast nationals came out, um, which, which would lead me to wildly speculate that maybe Rampage did better than SmackDown in the demo, but we'll see. We'll see what the, what the numbers are on Monday. So 
moving on to our final topic before we go to my conversation with Lavi. Triple H, the game, uh, had a cardiac event over a month ago. It was disclosed. What's it, which, and, and now I did watch, um, or at least I, I had it on mute uh, while he's doing other things on Tuesday night, this NXT 2.0 hollowing havoc. And I just couldn't help but think to myself, if Paul Levesque did not have a cardiac event, what exactly would Paul Levesque be doing right now in WWE? I mean, I'm hoping yeah, I wonder if they would, yeah, what would his role be? Is Would he not be at NXT tapings? I think that's the big thing that the thing people are looking to see what happened. Is he not involved at all with NXT? Is he really involved with talent? I mean, recruitment and all that. Like he was a big advocate for getting these stars ahead indie experience, and now they're going towards away from that. I mean, yeah, what would his role be, Brandon? What would be your best guess? It's not like he would be promoted or brought up to... He's always kind of been doing stuff with the main roster is the impression that we've gotten. Um, But it's not like Vince would genuinely view him as ready for some kind of promotion, which I'm not even sure what what room there is, at least on the creative side. Uh, And you got the... the, the, I mean, the the fact is that... um, Oh, it's the fact, but it's pretty clear to me. Vince views what he's done with NXT uh, in the last couple of years as a failure. He's rejected Triple H's vision of wrestling here, rebranded NXT. Um, I don't know how involved he would be or, or is. Um, so what would he be doing? I know Sean Waltman said on his podcast, uh, this is a while back now, not, not recently, but just after this transition with NXT happened that, you know, he should just quit. He should just walk like what, how, cause how, like it, when, whenever he comes back and it's been more than a month now, now I don't know how long it takes to recover from a cardiac event. And we don't know what kind of cardiac event he, he even had, but how long does it take to recover from this? And what's he going to do? Is, is, is Paul Levesque going to go back to working on NXT or doing whatever his role was in NXT and doing that in a similar capacity? I don't see how he can go back to this brand and, and work on this brand with any dignity, you know, when, when his vision has been roundly rejected. And I, I would guess, you know, it, it, it made me think, I think I was listening to some, some Stephanie interview, uh, where she was referring to some, sometime in the distant past, like 10, 15 years ago, well, when she was a writer, um, where she said that, you know, there was this point where, where Vince said, t- told her, you failed me. Uh, and she felt terrible about this and so forth. Um, but it was like, you know, of course, it was framed as this learning, growing experience. But anyway, this is clearly, to my view, a moment where Triple H failed to to stomp out this new rival brand, which is competition and not competition, AEW. And Vince probably views that he failed him. So, like, what is there for him to do in this company with any with any dignity at this point? It's, it's not clear to me. Um you you have not been watching Succession. Is that is that is that true? I, I have not. I uh, I'm happy that Kirby enthusiasm is back, but I have okay. not been watching well, Succession. Well, uh, spoiler alert! If you haven't watched the end of season two yet, I'm about to about to say things that will be spoilers. We're now on season three of Succession, but if you haven't watched season two yet, skip ahead or mute. So at the end of season two, um, Kendall, who is the son of Roy, who is the, the Vince McMahon-like figure, uh, 
they there's this big scandal on a cruise. They decide that somebody's going to have to take the blame and take the fall for this. They decide it's going to be Kendall. Okay. They send Kendall to do this press conference where he's going to accept all this responsibility. He goes to the press conference and what he does in the press conference is rather than accepting responsibility, puts all the blame on, on, uh, his father, Logan Roy. Um, and they're all watching this on live TV. The family is. And, um, there's, I should mention too, there's, there's this, this interaction that, that Logan and Kendall have earlier before the decision is made or when the decision is being made where he says, um, you know, they're talking about whether or not he ever could have been the successor, whether he could have been the CEO. And Logan says, I don't know. You're, you're not a killer. You gotta be a killer. And, uh, so what he does is he turns on him in this press conference and, you know, everybody's sort of panicking, watching this live, super uncomfortable. But Logan Roy is sitting back watching the, the TV and just sort of, there's this, this hint of a smile. I sort of feel like, you know, maybe I've, again, I've been watching too much succession lately, but, um, new episode, uh, tonight on Sunday, by the way, um, that the only way I think Triple H could win back the love, the respect of Vince McMahon at this point is to do something somewhere else outside of WWE. I don't think that's going to happen, to be clear. I think that's less likely than it's more likely that's not going to happen than will. Uh, but I think the only way. And I, I, I think the only way he would win his respect and, and, and I think he could do something interesting if he had the right uh, organization around him and, and, and the right backing. Um, but you think like, like Triple H, if he, if he, if he quit WB, uh, I don't know what he does outside of wrestling. This is somebody whose entire working career since 1995 has been in this company as a wrestler or as an executive. As far as I know, he doesn't have a college degree, which in hindsight now, I mean, he, the, the, this guy had like 11 years here where he was an executive where he probably could have worked towards a degree of some kind. But like, how does he even go to any, any non-wrestling company and then do anything that looks like even a lateral movement? Um, so yeah, I, I think he should, uh, hook up with Mark Cuban maybe and, uh, uh, maybe buy, buy that, uh, buy up Ring of Honor and, uh, you know, I, th- and I, there's so much talent out there now, especially if you just add it to, um, you know, if you uh, add in some of this Ring of Honor talent, there might be space for a third player. And obviously, you got players like MLW trying to find that space. Uh, Ring of Honor has has had the opportunity to, but has not really tried to find that space and could have. Um, I think Impact is just sort of hanging out, doing whatever it's doing. Um, just for that side point real quick, I mean... Impact would purchase that, the, the Ring of Honor, and that would be really interesting because I know we've heard rumblings of that before. I, yeah, I don't, I don't see. I think much, much the way that um, Sinclair does not want to make financial investments, uh, I, I would have trouble seeing Anthem or yeah. whoever, whoever owns Impact at this point. There seems to be some confusion about, that, about what Anthem is at this point. But yeah, I, I, I don't know what it would cost, and I think, um, I think AEW would be interested. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each 
one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs. And it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Should be interested. It's probably most valuable to them. Um, WWE is getting guaranteed payments for for its streaming service rights in the U.S. at this point. So there isn't a great value, usefulness in the library for WWE. But what there is for WWE is there's, there's value in keeping it away from AEW and preventing AEW from having a more valuable streaming product. Um, so there's at least two bidders for whom you could see them wanting it um, and paying good money for it. Uh, so does Impact want to compete with that? I, I doubt it, whatever that price is at that point. Yes. But just back to your Paul Levesque point. Yeah, you're right, though. I mean, if a third, you know, a third billionaire just wanted to be like, you know what, I'm, I want to have a wrestling promotion – he would be the perfect person to kind of mm-hmm. head up the operation. Um, but non-wrestling wise, I would imagine it would be probably in the nutrition landscape. Yeah. You know, we've seen him. He's been a poster boy for a lot of different supplements and whatnot over the Su- years. Supplements. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if it's like booster and stuff like that, like I'm, I'm just saying like he would be possibly in the world of nutrition. He would get into and like. Sure. I mean, like you, you go from being a top five executive whose compensation is reported every year in SEC filings to like what doing nutrition spokesperson stuff. It would be, it would, or starting his own nutrition. It, I think it would be some, somewhat humiliating to him in the context of what I, I imagine this family culture is like to be Stephanie McMahon right now must be fascinating, by the way. Um, 
Yeah. I think, I think there's a great pitch as far as, you know, well, look, this guy's been an executive in, in a, in a wrestling company. I don't know when, when he would be free. We're being highly speculative here. I want to make clear again, this is, I would be very surprised if this happens, but I think there's a, a real, if, Paul, if you're listening, you could do this. You can do it. Um, if you're friend, if you, are you friends with Mark Cuban or someone else who has a lot of money and, uh, credibility in the media and sports world? Huh. Um, yeah, I, th- I think there's a, he's, he could be part of a very interesting pitch for sure. Anything else to add? No, nothing, nothing else. I'm, I'm really interested to see what the future of Paul Levesque is. Um, you know, he, there, there's been a lot of love and hate against him, you know, with the internet wrestling community. Mm. Personally, like I, I, I'm a fan of not only his inner work, but I think a lot of decisions made. I liked his, you know, his view of NXT didn't work for WWE's perspective, but I liked it. So I, if, if he somehow went to a different Avenue, I'd be really intrigued and really interested to see what that is, but it may be something where they just gave him a project to here, head up this dude, this peacock thing or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have trouble seeing him do anything that's outside of even, you know, creative and, and talent development. And, and he's been so, his work has just been so rejected and, um, replaced at this point, but we'll see. Um, and now without any further ado, we'll go to my talk. This is from Thursday with Lobby Marglin discussing all the news related to Ring of Honor. A lot of times when there's a big wrestling news, business related issue, sometimes I get called in to be a special guest uh, on, on other podcasts. But now with the news related to Ring of Honor, that's come out in the last few days. We've got to dig even deeper with Lavi Margolin, who hosts the Business of the Business podcast. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Um, you know, it's always an honor. And of course, uh, since you covered WWE and AEW so well, we had to find our own niche. Yeah, I've, I've been listening lately to, to you and John. Uh, it's, it's really informative. It, it catches me up on everything that's going on. And I realize sometimes like, how much there is to to cover and talk about and study and understand and how vast the spectrum is. So I've, I've been really been appreciating uh, listening to the podcast lately. Um, so I really needed to have you on today because I try to follow ring of honor and uh, all the other promotions that are sort of at that level. Uh, but I'm, I really need some help understanding. So lobby, can you explain to me like I'm five years old, what's happening with ring of honor? and Sinclair Broadcasting right now. Sure. So, you know, for those that are following through the wrestling lens, it's always Ring of Honor, and then it pushes outwards, and it touches a little bit on Sinclair. For me, I've always followed it from the top down in terms of what's going on with Sinclair and how might it affect Ring of Honor. Now, when things were good or or seemingly good, um, such as uh, Sinclair's continuous push for growth, which is a a corporate strategy and um, one that, uh, for the most part, had served them well, where Sinclair went, Ring of Honor followed. Not usually in a headline role, but usually uh, in must-run programming. I guess, for lack of a better word, um, as they would acquire affiliates, Ring of Honor would be there, and they'd find a way to put them on there just short of a uh, tennis channel or, or, or something like that. Um, 
or as they expanded their Diginet stations, uh, maybe it would be on one and then then move to another and so on. Um, would it be would it be fair to say that most of the distribu- distribution that Ring of Honor has around the U.S. is through Sinclair Networks? Yes, if not totally um, at this time. Yeah. They've had. Four- Are there any exceptions to that? I mean, like there's the what is the Destination America years ago that brief run. Yeah, there was like an Atlanta exception for a while as well in terms of um, syndication distribution, but I'd have to think about it very hard to find in the U.S. Um, distribution for Ring of Honor that that's not under the Sinclair umbrella. Sinclair owns a number of affiliates, um, even within the same market, sometimes under Sinclair. Sometimes they call it a a railroad agreement where you like Cunningham, where you control um, the operations of another company uh, to meet sort of like FCC guidelines, but it's controlled by Sinclair. So pretty much their distribution is there. So where Sinclair began getting into trouble um, initially, this, this goes back to the Trump administration or earlier aspects of the Trump administration where they were going to uh, purchase the assets of um, Tribune. So uh, for a long time, we were looking at WGN Cable as a potential national cable network for Ring of Honor, where they can stick and sort of uh, become perhaps a secondary brand, um, depending on where Impact was at that time. But they were also acquiring a number of over-the-air networks. And they were what appeared to be very cocky about it, seeming that it was in the bag. Um, but uh, eventually that was rejected. So as I see it, Sinclair wanted to keep growing. And for some reason, they pointed themselves to the regional sports networks, which doesn't sound as bad then as it does now, uh, meaning that um, Disney, um, in, in doing its own acquisitions, was tasked with shedding um, these RSNs. And there wasn't a big market for it. There wasn't big competition for it, if I remember correctly, because it sort of felt like uh, something from the past where, you know, you might have your local sports teams that are on a cable station that's basically only appealing for these sports programs. And then it's filled with other filler programming, uh, maybe um, lower rent boxing or reruns of classic sports. And sometimes pro wrestling would find its way onto such a network as we can imagine. So they purchased um, 21 RSNs. Um, it's a little bit complicated because some of them they're helping to co-run like a, like a stadium or uh, one uh, run by the Cubs as well. Um, but around 21 to 23 for Mm, it was uh, a lot of money. And uh, what ended up happening was that with the coronavirus hitting, um, you know, it, it put them into trouble uh, with station, with uh, cable stations dropping some of these RSNs or being very tough about negotiating deals there. Um, we can get into it a little bit later, but that's not their only problem. They're actually somewhat protected uh, from, from the debt in, in creating, um, you know, what these corporations do. And I'm not an expert in it, but they create sort of like sub incorporations like Ring of Honor 
in some way, when you look it up, it sort of stands as on its own. It's it's its own incorporated company under the Sinclair umbrella. How that works, I'm not sure exactly. I didn't do so well in my intro to accounting classes, but they're somewhat protected. And so now, with, the, with the RSNs, is that that's a relatively new business for Sinclair then? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yes, they were never really in the cable television business at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been, they've grown from uh, one independent station in Baltimore, um, the, the Smith family um, that um, used to run WWWF uh, back in the day. I think they were their um, flagship station in Baltimore for that, um, but uh, sort of grew significantly. And even from the time that they bought um, Ring of Honor for what, what had been reported and we had discussed this a couple of times amongst ourselves, I think about $9 million. They've grown exponentially since then. So it was like constant growth, keep acquiring regional television stations and across the board from the major networks to, um, you know, whatever the the titles were at the time, WB, um, UPN, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. So they, they even have some Spanish language um, over the air stations as well till they hit that FCC limit. And then sort of they looked in television to grow in other ways. So they've, they actually own sort of some of the technology for uh, ATSC 3.0, which is to put more bandwidth. So eventually, and they're actually, I think they launched even in your market already, where if you have an antenna, instead of it being, let's say uh, an NBC being able to have three or four sub channels in theory, they could have now like 12. So um, they own some of that technology. So that's a value, but also they started launching a few digital networks. I thought they'd actually be more aggressive about it, but they have um, Comet, Charge, um, those stations where Sinclair has actually a run on those, uh, sorry, where Ring of Honor has actually run of the, on those uh, from time to time. And those are but essentially then, cable channels, Comet and, and Stadium, right? So it's complicated because some cable stations pick them up as cable, but um, at their base, at their core, if you have an antenna, um, and it's pointing the right way. Um, I don't know if you say that with digital anymore, but yeah. in theory that you should be able to pick up these stations if they're in your market. These are the channels that are like four point whatever. There, it's a decimal point between the traditional whole number channels. Yeah, Exactly. And sometimes like you can look it up. Um, there's a thing called like rabbit ears. Um, uh, and they'll show you like by market, which, which stations are there. And sometimes like they'll say in New York, but it's, it's a digital station of a very weak station in itself. So like, it's very hard to pick it up. Whereas others, it's more a uh, powerful station and it's easy to, to acquire that. So mm-hmm. ring of honor has been growing with that way. They also have the tennis channel. Um, but then they pointed themselves to the regional sports networks and that's sort of, uh, one of the ways that they've been, uh, you know, in trouble. And um, as Moody's Investor Services reported in August, that Sinclair has an unsustainable capital structure, given its very high leverage and weak liquidity. Yeah. And if I Google real quick what they what they paid Disney, they bought those RSNs, twenty one RSNs from Disney for ten point six billion dollars. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know. It's it was the wrong investment at the wrong time. 
and the wrong attempts to leverage it. They've sort of, there's been reports that they've sort of, what do they call it? Like a, sort of like a Hail Mary pass where they're like, okay, now we're going to make these streaming, but they, they don't have the rights to that exactly. Or we'll partner with Major League Baseball and sort of, uh, you know, we'll be co-owners in it. But Major League Baseball isn't playing with them in, in the way that they want. So like these things aren't likely to happen. So when a parent company is in trouble, um, you have to begin to look at non-core assets and their profitability, their growth potential. And to me, it's a, it's a small aspect of a huge problem, but I would circle ring of honor because it's on the downward trend um, in terms of popularity. Uh, we can't, the ratings are hard to come by. Um, Joe Coff had said on a podcast of honor, 300 to 500,000. Uh, we've shared an article in the past that had about 500,000 in 2016. I feel like if Joe Coff is going to say 300 to 500, um, if it's not 300 most of the time, why would you give that number? So I would say, like, let's say realistically it's closer to 300. So I think the 500,000 or maybe it was 400,000 from years ago that I was referencing, at least in one article, was something that Dave Meltzer had said at one point. I think we've had discussions where I've kind of questioned, like, do you think they even have the, the technology or the ability to aggregate what their actual viewership is across all those networks? Okay, so I wouldn't have had this answer till about a year ago when I bought a book on a lark, a textbook that no one would buy for fun, except probably you and I and maybe uh, Mookie, uh, which was about um, advertising sales. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, it talked about how Nielsen sort of like, let's say you're in you're in a market, you subscribe to Nielsen, you're a CBS affiliate. Mm -hmm. So you sell local ads. Um, at some point, you have to go back to um, either the broker or the person that you sold it to directly and uh, report on how these ads did. Either you satisfied it, you met the Nielsen number for the local rating or exceeded it, or you missed the mark and you have to have what all of the wrestling fans are familiar with to make good ads. Mm-hmm. So in theory, you are getting the Nielsen numbers for every over the air regular station. So we don't know about the charge and the comment, if you know, whatever it may be, but everything over the air in terms of the major stations. So with the right um, uh, Excel file or database, it should be fairly easy if you have all that data to calculate even across various times that it's distributed to get an aggregate number mm-hmm. um, in total. Now, um, somebody that used to work for one of these stations that's uh, a reporter as well out of Ohio, um, he, he had tweeted me that the number, he feels that there's legitimacy in this number, in this general number, but it's an aggregate not only across the nation, which would be expected, it's also of multiple airings. So it might be that some stations, even though they're required to air it once, they might choose to air it multiple times. So they add all those numbers together to come to that 300,000 aggregate or whatever that number may be. Yeah. So, so not just counting first runs, but counting 
every time a given episode had aired on a given network. Yes. And if you're in one of the markets that, you know, has local Ring of Honor, I think you may be that, like, for example, when I took a family vacation, uh, you know, in Amish country in Pennsylvania, Saturday night, I put on the television at 8 p.m. On the CBS, there was Ring of Honor, mm-hmm. right? So it's sort of that, you know, for their own stations, if they position it in prime time, it's sort of like casual viewing. People often think about, like, you know, it seems like a lot of people may be watching Ring of Honor. Why does it have no buzz? Because people might watch it. It's on there. But, like, how many shows from CBS that are just there do people buzz about? They watch it because they turn on the television. Yeah. I, I wonder what the, the – we talk so much about how NXT has this high median viewer age, the 60 sometimes. I, I, if, if anything is going to beat it, I bet it would be Ring of Honor. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the – I would speculate that ever since certainly the last three years, like pre, um, I guess two to three years pre AEW, mm-hmm. uh, maybe it was lower. But I think since then, if you were going to imagine the typical Ring of Honor viewer, think of Joe Ka. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about the news that broke on Wednesday then. Um, I think what what happened first in the timeline is Ring of Honor tweets this very vague statement. It's like this this graphic that has this long statement, uh, something to you might you might remember it better than I do because I don't have it in front of me, but something to the effect of you know there's there's changes happening and so forth. Strano Sap also tweets this: based on who I've spoken with, ROH releases are effective at the end of the year. If a contract goes beyond that, they're paid until March 31st. Uh, he goes on to say, uh, we're told that Joe Coff told talent he had multiple meetings trying to fight for ROH, but ultimately Sinclair made the call. Talent was told there was some type of TV show that will be in place after Final Battle, but weren't told what that would be. So it sounds like no content throughout Q1. There's only going to be one more show for the rest of the year, Final Battle. Have I got all that correct? Yes, and I even have uh, Joe Coff's uh, statement from uh, LinkedIn, which most people aren't sharing. I can share that oh. uh, briefly. Um, uh, yesterday, I announced that Ring of Honor will be pivoting to the next version of Ring of Honor with a planned return to touring with Supercard of Honor in April. No worries, though. We'll continue creating original, engaging content drawn from our, our incredible archive and our engaged fans. Um, then he goes on to say that he shared it with the town first and so on. But I found that statement to be interesting as well. So my guess is that they'll have some sort of um, fan reaction person on the street type of content interspersed with the archives so that they can consider it first run programming. Right. Yeah. LinkedIn is where the scoops are. Um, so, there's not going to be any shows. There's going to be final battle and all this talent is basically going to be released permanently. It sounds like ring of honors. If they're going to do shows again in the future, it's going to be more like a major independent wrestling company and less so like the more major company that ring of honor had been becoming over the last decade or so. Um, yeah, no. Yeah. I find it very curious because what I'll be interesting to, to find out, you know, what will come out eventually I'm sure is I will, we, we're starting to hear already that Ring of Honor was shopping its archives, which which makes sense. But was Ring of Honor being shopped as a whole? 
I don't understand why not, if it wasn't. I assume that it was. So by releasing all of the talent under contract, one would assume that that's an asset. You know, you're taking it from what's an active company and moving it to an inactive or next phase. So if they shopped it around, um, they must not have been satisfied, you know, with the offers to uh, to go to this stage. Yeah, I, I guess if you're... If you're AEW or WWE, what, why, what are you buying if you're buying the company? Obviously, the tape library has value. That's, that's easy to imagine. But if you're buying the company, Ring of Honor, you're buying some rights to some contracts that if you don't buy the company, they're, they ended up, what they ended up doing is releasing everybody anyway. You're getting a lot of assets and rings and things like that, maybe. You know, the, I wouldn't see it as an existing company bidding on it. What what surprises me, and I've been pontificating on this openly for a little while, is the fact that we don't see much private equity investment in professional wrestling. To an extent, the only place that we're aware of it is through Impact Wrestling. Um, I wrote a whole article about how the evidence points to that Impact, um, you know, Anthem, its parent company is actually owned by someone else now. But if not, even if we can't say that for sure, that there's a, there's a significant investment or, or some investment in Anthem, which owns Impact. But outside of that, we don't see... Um, you know, financial firms, private equity companies that say, look, here's a successful uh, television product or form of entertainment. Let's invest in it and let's, let's make a go of it. And then we'll, we'll sell it to someone else. You know, like you see it with, with um, so many different uh, sports leagues and uh, sports related businesses. Um, So if, private equity was interested in wrestling, I would at least uh, kick the tires of Ring of Honor Wrestling. You have um, a brand that's tarnished in some way, but it's somewhat established and you have this legacy, but I'm sure that they, if they were looking to sell, that they explored all of these options. So so you're, you're thinking maybe there would be some sort of private in, investor that is looking at the business somewhat in the way that Tony Khan looked at the business in 2018 and that look at these live media rights fees that WWE is able to attract. And now AEW has proved that it can attract something valuable as well in an, in an alternative wrestling brand that maybe there's an opportunity to acquire ring of honor and do something similar. Yeah. Even one step removed from a Tony Khan who obviously loves wrestling and is very passionate about it, but um, even looking at it from you know, uh, sort of just an investment perspective. When you look at pro wrestling, it's just interesting to see that there doesn't seem to be interest in high level investment. Look at like um, uh, professional fight league. Um, candidly, in my opinion, it doesn't seem to have much heart. It doesn't seem to have much buzz or interest. However, this is the TNT uh, MMA company, right? Yeah, so it's been on TNT, I think ESPN, whatever it may be that they floated mm-hmm. through. I, it doesn't seem to have any way of making money anytime soon. But look, they go through these investment rounds and it's it's publicly listed. And they're raising 
you know, millions and millions of dollars each time. Um, pro wrestling must have a certain, I, I mean, we, we know that it has the lifetime taint to it, but, um, but in comparison, it doesn't have that uh, same level of interest, whereas you would think you'd be able to, at least to that degree, based on, um, you know, the popularity of the business, especially now that you have a viable competitor. It should be drawing more companies rather than saying the market is full with just two. Yeah. So, it looks like they've not been acquired. Maybe they explored that. That didn't happen. That didn't work out. Uh, they've now, as we said on Wednesday, the news came out that they are releasing the talent. What do you think happens to the video library? You know, if it's uh, a viable number, I've been thinking about like who would buy it. So first we would look inside the business and it would make the most sense right now for AEW to purchase it mm-hmm. um, from what I understand, there had been reports that AEW has always been interested in buying the rights to All In, but um, they couldn't come to agreement or maybe Ring of Honor said it wasn't for sale at the time. But to get the rights to this library for AEW now would be the perfect time because to enter streaming, they might have built up hours of content uh, in dark matches for YouTube and so on, but it has no context. It has no historical significance. Um, you just have to have been interested in, in the content. Whereas Ring of Honor content, um, some of it, uh, especially in the early years, might be dark, need to be reformatted, the music and the sound and audio and whatever. But you have... Um, this wonderful history and this thread. And if there's some viability to the DVD only releases, you have thousands of hours of content um, that would need to be worked on, but really creates the historical aspect of the business. Um, People got mad at me about four or five months ago when I said, AW should just buy ring of honor buy impact, close them down <laughs> and use it for a streaming service because that's the only alternate history in North America mm-hmm. that's produced to a decent degree. And you have most of the talents that have emerged from there. But especially now, now they have CM Punk and Brian Danielson. They've got their, their histories, their stories there outside of WWE. That's, that's the prime area of, of their careers is Ring of Honor. Yeah, and you can have some fun, like especially when you have them under contract uh, with wraparounds, you know, introducing the matches or following the matches and, and so on. So even commenting on the matches, depending on how many hours they want to get involved with all this. But there's a lot you can do, like you mentioned, when you have the talent, um, their library, and you have them under contract to utilize. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's any interest from WWE at this point now that they're, they're on Peacock getting guaranteed money? Yeah, um, I think there's interest to a degree. I think A, you know, just to take it off the market from others. B, you know, as it threads the story of a number of their own talents as well, there's something to utilize there. And then, you know, but they're, they've, you know, always been fairly rigid on their their rates and it seems to have been maybe this is a little bit dated but it always seems to have been like a standard amount so it would be at a low price and i think ring of on i think sinclair is looking for a win so maybe they'd 
maybe it's worth it to them to hold on to it, to keep producing these shows into perpetuity. Um, I think for, I don't know if Anthem is looking, you know, to spend more money on, on pro wrestling anytime soon, um, but certainly impact um, could kick the tires and Billy Corgan, um, you know, he's acquired content before um, to buy a whole Wing of Honor tape library. He might have the cash, but he's also, you know, he's a smart investor. He's not throwing everything at the NWA. So that would certainly be somebody that would be interested. Now, there's all these streaming services. Um, and like, for example, Pluto's Pro Wrestling uh, station, I don't know if they're throwing big money at any promotion or maybe it's like um, for some it might be like uh, a split of of uh, advertising revenue or something like that. I, th- but I think we saw already- in the um, yes in the, um, the the 2017 it wasn't financial records, but it was sort of a forecast business plan. I, th- I think I shared that with you. I mean, I think I even put that on the Patreon that. Um, Impact was getting from Pluto something like eight hundred thousand dollars a year was was this was what I gathered from those records. They were related to the um the Jarrett GFW lawsuit. I don't know if you remember that. Well, yeah, no, I could believe that, and that's why I also felt like some of the Impact numbers were off when they shared that, uh, like the Twitch numbers, because AAA was getting hundreds of thousands. It looked like from Twitch and then impact, it was showing like 50,000, which didn't make sense because they were impact. If anything was a little bit ahead of AAA, maybe doing less dedicated specials or something like that. So the streaming element has value to it, but I don't know if they're aggressive in buying that sort of content right now, but it definitely has legs for, um, streaming services, which makes sense. You know, you always look at pro wrestling, whether it was introduction of television, cable television, premium television, and so on, where pro wrestling, you know, is one of those like early markers that leads the way. And then sort of as historically as, as that medium sort of establishes themselves, they go away from pro wrestling. But now, you know, and it's a totally a whole nother story, but now we see, um, some of that coming back around, especially with the way AEW is being positioned on the Turner networks. Yeah. I, I, I think AEW would like to do a streaming service if they think it's viable to do. And like you said, the one thing that they really lack is a legacy back catalog video library. Um, and I think the interview that Tony Khan just did with Gavin Bridge, there was some talk of, of a, of a streaming service. So the, at the first time, I think think that that's really been publicly said by Tony that um, that's something that they are, they consider in, in, in a real way. Um, yes. I know Gavin is a big believer in, uh, in streaming. He regularly uh, tweets um, in, in support of that and, and telling pro wrestling companies that they're missing out. So I'm glad the, the question and uh, discussion came up formally. Yeah. Um, so all this talent is, Basically free to, to work immediately, it sounds like. We, it's like the day that this news broke, you got, I think Bandito is booked with GCW. Beyond just announced that they're booking Tracy Williams. So what, what talent is, is out there that you think is going to be most attractive to an, to a WWE or an AEW that might be coming out of Ring of Honor? 
No, it's it's a good question. Um, certainly, like somebody like a Brody King, you know, would mm-hmm. would fit a, a WWE archetype. Um, you know, for AW, people talk about the relationships um, uh, that Flip Gordon has um, with the elite. Uh, I think the Briscoes. Uh, because of, you know, um, one of their past and, and tweeting inappropriate, very inappropriate things um, that it was sort of like a no to WWE. But I think they could sort of have a good run on the independence now. There was a, a great buzz with um, with their appearance in GCW. And mm-hmm. um, I think actually that was a big lost opportunity that if GCW had invaded Ring of Honor, starting with Final Battle, I think you could actually have had a good thing going and it would have been great for both companies just because they're so different. Mm-hmm. But I think with Ring of Honor, the, the talent, you know, will will resettle itself in various ways. But I don't think that there's anyone that's going to have a huge impact on, uh, you know, on, on things moving forward. It's not like they were holding on to sort of a... Um, a prime talent and I don't mean to dim any of the talent, but there was nobody like that sort of like people were like waiting for to sort of emerge. Um, and, you know, they'll, they'll all find their way and some super indies will, will benefit from that. But I don't see like a big reverberation in the market following that. If anything, like PCO was kind of lucky to have announced he wasn't resigning, get ahead of things and get, um, a nice commitment from GCW before everyone else hit the market. Just, just sort of looking back over the last several years, five, seven years, or something like that, where Ring of Honor gradually grew in prominence uh, on, under Sinclair. Um, I, I think back to like the 2014 period where they started to work with New Japan, and in large part. New Japan would not have it would not have been as easy for New Japan to get as much notoriety as it had as it grew to have in the US and in western countries if if it had not had this partnership with Ring of Honor where US fans, English speaking world fans uh got to become acquainted with many of the New Japan stars. Um so they really helped New Japan. Um and there's a lot of criticism about especially towards the latter part of that relationship where you know, was was Ring of Honor really in a fair deal here, uh, in terms of how the, the, the wins and losses were booked. Um but in in twenty eighteen, uh Tony Khan planned AEW and launched it in twenty nineteen, took a lot of stars from Ring of Honor, uh and from New Japan for that matter. It it's it seems to me that the the role that AEW is occupying right now, there there was a good window for Ring of Honor to occupy that role if they had been more ambitious. And my impression is just that you know, Sinclair has been very risk averse and has not wanted to take these big financial risks. And I guess maybe we're just kind of seeing why to, you know, this week, uh, where maybe Sinclair just isn't the most financially stable company. And you can understand maybe why they didn't want to take so many risks. Yeah, no, there was certainly a moment where they had something, um, as we would, uh, examine the attendance numbers and it was exciting um for me at least the year when they broke a thousand and then you know climbed uh, a bit higher and it was sort of no one's doing these numbers on average or, or hasn't done these numbers in in quite a while so it was fun to to watch that growth and it was sort of like 
you kind of you had New Japan and Ring of Honor sort of working together, and then at a certain point, it sort of seemed like okay, who is sort of like uh, uh, the secondary option and the third option now that Impact is sort of bouncing around on, on stations, people aren't getting, and it looks like New Japan had its chance and moment. Sort of, I would think about sort of what if Mark Cuban would take on the Tony Khan role that basically before I was even aware of Tony Khan, basically Mm -hmm. sort of like championing it in the U S and sort of opening up deals and infusing money and, uh, you know, making it bigger than it is, but that never happened. There was a New York times article sort of connecting Cuban and new Japan and everything that was going on there. But and and one of the connections with, with Cuban is that he started the, it was the HDTV network? What, what, what was um, Access before it was Access? Yes, HDNet. HDNet, thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and then he had, you know, he'd have, um, they ran a show in Dallas and, and so on. And then with Ring of Honor, um, you know, I remember Joe Koff had an interview once where he said that he contacted the CEO of Sinclair and he took a picture of like three or four WWE production trucks. And he said to him, this will never be us. And to me, that always stuck in my mind. Like, Jokov never believed that he could compete. And certainly, you know, it was reasonable, you know, that you weren't going to compete with WWE, but sort of like to imagine it as bigger than it is. Um, I remember, and I'd searched these tweets later, but I, I couldn't find them, but Cody Rhodes would, would sort of tweet about before sort of like this discussion with Dave Meltzer and so on um, before like that, he was trying to get big arenas booked and encouraging them to like be more ambitious. And, um, you know, and, and so basically it, the gist was that they weren't going for it. It's Joe Coff who said this will never be us to the CEO, Chris Ripley. Yes. Okay. So, um, but the reason, so they had a moment and, they were always prioritizing others, you know, whether it was uh, highlighting the NWA belt or New Japan or obviously all in has to be considered sort of a disaster for them at this point. But the reason I don't think that they would have been AEW was that A, Sinclair doesn't play well with others. They, unless Sinclair had acquired a cable station and WGN wouldn't have been as powerful, certainly, um, that it wouldn't have been on one network. And the disjointed nature of non-programmable station, of non-programmable television, where it's, it's all over the map, it's hard to grow in that way. There's the specter of political conservatism which is hard to put aside for some fans to throw their ring in the hat. I mean, when you look at each each company and each organization, Shad Khan did support Donald Trump, um, not in his reelection, but, um, you know, in the inauguration, the, the inauguration yeah. fund, something like that. He, he helped fund. Yes, I know. I'm not sure how it was directed, but he did openly support Donald Trump, you know, uh, you know, towards his his election, um, but you know, AEW has sort of been kind of like could take a step away from that. Whereas Sinclair was always in the news; these must run programming, um, 
uh, how they were treating him, um, a newscaster that got cancer and they fired her. You know, there was always these negative stories. So it was hard to to attach yourself to that. But finally, and, and this just speaks to the risk aversion and what Joe Coff um, had told Chris Ripley and so on, which is their financial aversion, conservatism, not only in a political standpoint, but conservatism fiscally, that they didn't want to take these risks. Um, and at the point where they did, to a degree, it's sort of like once the game was already over, once you lost Cody, once you lost the Bucks, then they just start signing talent, amazing talent, let's say from Mexico and Europe and, and so on, but they didn't know what to do with them. I don't watch week to week and I'm, you know, I don't even, obviously I follow it very closely. I don't even watch pro wrestling most weeks except uh, classics on YouTube and so on. But like my sense was that they just said, okay, here's a group of foreign people. Let's smash them together. And you can, you could see it um, that uh, the attendances like bottomed out so quickly and it, it ground to halt so fast that they started taking on paying more for a roster and getting much less um, results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been a, an eclectic journey for the brand ring of honor for sure. And then we we just, scratch the surface in the last few years here. So I, th- I think that's all for now. Uh, plugs lobby. Where can people check out your stuff? Yes. Um, so um, the business of the business with uh, John Paz is a weekly podcast distributed through the creative control network. Um, you can find it through your favorite podcast provider. Um, check out my website, lioncubjobsearch.com. You'll especially enjoy the Q3 uh, live events uh, attendance analysis for non-WWE and non-AW promotions. Of course, uh, the analysis report uh, inspired by Brandon and WrestleNomics, not yes. claiming that it's up to that degree, but inspired by. And, and my Twitter is uh, LaViemarg, L-A-V-I-E-M-A-R-G. So that's where I share the latest news ahead of the podcast and ahead of any articles. All right. Much appreciated. Thanks for joining us, Lavi. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Thanks again to Lavi for joining us. Plugs, we kind of already went over them. There's a live TV rating talk at 7, free for everybody, like the pre-show to a pay-per-view, and then we go live for patrons, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. For $5 a month, you can get access to my almost daily TV ratings reports, which are the deepest TV ratings reports you will find anywhere. Plus, you get access to the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet. You get access to the live stream that we do on on November, is it the 4th? 4th, the Thursday is the 4th, right? Yeah. It, yes, it is. So there's that, and it's going to be the beginning of the month too, which is the best time. The best time to sign up for the Patreon is the beginning of the month. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Follow me on Twitter and whatnot, or don't. That's, that's cool too. You got any plugs, Skull? Yeah, um, follow myself, Chris Gullo, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, RTI Pod on Twitter, Rediscovering Indies on Facebook and Instagram. We just came out with part three of the NWA 2007-2017 mm-hmm. NWA title and, and the business behind it. And uh, we talk about the Bruce Tharp era being in full swing and the relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I'll tell you, Brandon, I didn't realize 
that Bruce Sarp being this hokey 80s like manager in, in in New Japan, managing Rob Conway against Kojima and Tenzan and others was in the same era of the rise of the Bullet Club and the Young Bucks and Kenny oh, Omega yeah. Yeah. and whatnot. It's it, it, it blew my mind to realize that that was living in the same world. No, I was, I was, I was, I was paying attention then. Yeah, it definitely was. The Iron Man, Rob Conway, where you had to have like the NWA, the, the two star NWA title match on every show. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> you have a mug, don't you? Yes, I do. Show the camera your mug. We have, That's we both have, mug. you, my, mine is a radio mug. I, I took the radio off because I don't know, I don't know if we're rebranding here or what. But it's beautiful. Show, show me, let, let me see, because I haven't seen, I think even when I came over the other day, I, I didn't, I, I, I meant to see it, but uh, Gullo's got a, a a mug that's got the TV rights timeline for Raw Smackdown and Dynamite on it. Very informative, very informative. There's a little Maybe. coffee stain on it too, sorry. <laughs> but very informative. Um, yes. If you're listening on, on, on the Voice of Wrestling podcast <laughs> network feed, uh, we, we thank the Voice of Wrestling podcast network. And, and, uh, and everybody, uh, for, for supporting us there. Big news coming up this Monday. Uh, please subscribe to the WrestleOmics radio dedicated feed so you never miss an episode. And, uh, we'll talk to everybody next time. I'm Brandon Thurston. I'm Chris Gello. And we'll keep you posted. See you next time.